0: We ask that you would just bless this time as we study your word. I thank you for this time of year. I know that it's busy with, with school projects and concerts and, and everything else going on. And Even some of the kids are involved in the Nutcracker this weekend and practicing even as we speak. And, but Lord, I thank you for the heart of these children. I thank you for their desire to want to bless others and their sensitivity and learning that that they can do that, even at their age. And what they have gathered in the food baskets that are going to be handed out tonight. And blessing the senior citizens that are part of this fellowship as they remember them. As they go into life care and as they sing songs to those residents, and what a blessing it is. I thank you for the youth that, as we were down Saturday at um, the Weld County Food Bank and putting those food boxes together for those in need and as I saw them work so hard Lord I just pray for a special blessing upon them and Lord I do pray that tonight that as we study your word that we can make application that Lord we can see your heart and we can see uh, Lord tonight that there is things that we can learn from these passages so I pray that you would do that right now And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Remember that Moses here is addressing the children of Israel in his last sermon to them before they go into the promised land. We're going to see at the end of the book of Deuteronomy that Moses will die there on Mount Nebo. The children of Israel will mourn for 30 days, and then Joshua will pick it up with him being the new leader, taking the children of Israel across the Jordan River into the land that God had promised them. And as Moses has given this last address to them, he again is addressing this new generation. They had gone through the wilderness. Their fathers had died out there in the wilderness. It had been 40 years. And and Moses here is preparing them spiritually. And so he has given them the ceremonial and religious laws. He's given them the civil laws. He's, he's given them guidelines and directions and uh, the most minute details even and When they go to battle and when they set up their cities and when they get an inheritance and how they run their lives. And you see, that's why they're called Israel. Israel means governed by God. And so here they are and and they're given a law. Moses has reminded them of the covenant that God made with their fathers. And Moses said, it wasn't just with your fathers, it's for you and for your children and your grandchildren. And also we see that the law was given to them on Mount Sinai, but the law is for you as well. So you need to know the law, and you need to know how it is that I want you to be governed by me. And we as Christians today, we're not under laws. We go through a lot of this. We see a lot of these things that that directly don't pertain to us, and it comes to the sacrifices and the offerings and, and all of those things. But one of the things that it does remind me of is that, first of all, that for us, to experience that life abundantly that the Lord has for us. Because remember that Jesus said that I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And as we have discussed that they came out of Egypt, they are free from the bondage and slavery of Egypt. God said, I'm going to give you this land. It's a good land flowing with milk and honey. So this is how I want you to live. Keep my commandments, my statutes, you know, live for me. And with that, as we have tied in and seen very closely with Deuteronomy, that you are to have a heart for me as well. And that's a real key. And as we have discussed on Sunday mornings and even going through the book of Deuteronomy, it's amazing that so oftentimes we go through this book and we say that the law, it's the law, it's the law. And it is going over every details of the law. But don't forget how many times the Lord says that I love you and that his desire is for them to have a love for him. And as Christians, the key to walking in obedience and walking in a life that is pleasing to him is having a love for him. Because what is in your heart is going to be worked out in your life. And as you have a closeness and a devotion to the Lord, you're going to have a desire to live for him and to walk in his ways and to know his ways. And that's why Paul says that, oh, that I may know him. That's why his prayer to the Colossian church was, that you may know God. And he's not just talking about head knowledge. He's talking about personal experience of drawing closer to the Lord, having a devotion to Him. And as you do, as you look at His love and His goodness and what He has done for us, how Jesus Christ proved His love for you and for me as He went to Calvary's cross, you can't help but respond out of love for Him. So it's no longer I have to do these things as I want to do these things. It's no longer I've got to do these things but I get to do these things. And we are free from the law. We are free to live for Him. And we are free, um, we have freedom and liberty as as Christians. We have freedom and liberty to live for Him and to please Him with their lives. So that's a real key that we have seen in Deuteronomy. The way for you and for me to experience that life abundantly, just that life of just fulfillment and purpose of peace and, and, and real purpose is to walk in the ways of the Lord and have a devotion for the Lord. There's no other shortcut. There's no secret. There's lots of books out there in the Christian circles about the secret or you know of of Christian victorious living. Just yield to the Lord. Love him. Be devoted to him. And here as we see that that he's given them the law that he said that it may be well with you. And as we walk after the ways of the Lord, living in His truth and abiding in Him, and as we just continue in that love of the Lord, then we're going to experience that abundant life that the Lord has for each and every one of us. And so that's one of the things that I see with Deuteronomy. But the second thing, too, is as we look at all the little different details, I mean, last week we looked at if there's a bird's nest with eggs in it and the mother isn't there, take care of the bird's nest. That it may be well with you. Even the most minute details, at the smallest of commandments. And you see, what it shows me is, is that the Lord is interested in every detail of my life. And even in the smallest details that, that he will give to you and to me to follow after. And he says it because he's interested in every area and every detail of my life. Sometimes as Christians we think, well, Lord, you're not interested in this area of my life. Surely you're not interested in in these details or these decisions that I have to make. And the Lord says yes. Because I want to be preeminent as we talked about on Sunday in Colossians chapter 1 over all things. And that means all things. And the Lord desires to be just that preeminent for us to give him the priority in working in every area of our lives, in our marriage, when it comes to our kids, at the workplace, our health, when it comes to decisions we have to make, circumstances that we face. And he cares about the details of our lives. He really does. Because of his love for you. And because he cares for you. And he wants to guide you and direct you. He wants to to work in your life, in every area of your life. And so that's one of the things that this book shows me. And so let's begin to continue. We've been looking at all the the details of the law and some of the miscellaneous details. We'll continue to see that. When we get to chapter 27, we're going to see that Moses kind of wraps it up. And then he's going to say that they're going to confirm the covenant as they will stand on Mount Garrison and Mount Ebal, and they'll say the blessings and the cursings, and there will be a shout of amen, kind of confirming that covenant. When you get to the book of Joshua, you see that they actually do that. So we're going to see that he's going to start wrapping things up in all these uh, details that he's given to them, and how they should live, and when they go to battle, and how to run their their. Um, you know, country and how to run every details of their lives and the religious and ceremonial details. Chapter 23, verses 1 through 8, talks about those excluded from the congregation. We read in verse 1, He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. And so here we see that uh, those who um, are eunuchs, those who have, for whatever reason, um, have been castrated physically she uh, shall not enter the assembly of the Lord now, here we see, I believe what the Lord has been saying to them over and over again is what don 't be like the Canaanites. in other words, when you go into the to the promised land and want you to get rid of those uh, sacred altars, those wooden images, those idols, the the wooden areas where they would go and do worship. And uh, they would commit all kinds of sexual immorality and and uh, false worship and all of this and in uh, worshiping those Canaanite gods, the Lord is saying, get rid of those things. I don't want you to be like the Canaanites. I, I don't want you to have the characteristics that they have. And one of the things that the Lord has told them and will continue to tell them is, I don't want you to go through the, the pagan rituals that they did. And one of the things that they would do in uh, their false worship is they would cut themselves. They would mutilate themselves. We think about what? In 1 Kings on Mount Carmel, remember Elijah gave the challenge to the prophets of Baal and said, you know what? Um... I'll call, down, you know, call on the Lord to call down fire from heaven. You call on Baal, and we'll see who, really who is truly God. And, of course, it was the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel who made that sacrifice. And um, they were calling on Baal, and, and there was, of course, no answer. And what they did is over the hours of calling out to their false god is they began to work themselves up and to mutilate, mutilate themselves, cut themselves, is what there in First Kings tells us that they did. The Lord says, you're not to do that. Well, what they would do in their false worship is they would make themselves eunuch. They would castrate themselves as a, as a pagan ritual in their worship of their false god. That's what I believe what the Lord is saying here. You're not to be that way. There were some who were eunuchs that were eunuchs from birth or maybe because of an accident or maybe because of some kind of defect, physical defect, whatever it might be. And we know from the book of Isaiah chapter 56, that they were not excluded from worship of the Lord. As we read, I'll read it to you, Isaiah chapter 56, verse 3. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name, better than that of the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that they shall not be cut off. So those who are even eunuchs, that they were not cut off from worshiping the Lord. So I think the Lord is saying, listen, I don't want you to be like the Canaanites in practicing their false worship. The Lord wanted them to go into the land, and He wanted them to multiply, didn't He? He wanted them to, to populate the land. Inheritance was very important. That's why we see the inheritance laws and, and, and all of this. But what does it mean for us? You might say, Pastor Jeff, well, perhaps what it means for us is, is that the Lord desires for us that we see that there be population, that there be growth, that there see reproduction in the church. Because what can happen to a church is, is that a church is established for years and and it's there and the families are there and if we're not careful we can turn inwardly. And we're not interested in there being multiplication, reproduction, people coming, being born again by the Spirit of God. And I know that numbers aren't, you know, de- you know, necessarily the de- definite. Um, you know, um, you know, standard of success or not. But I think what is, is this. That we have a heart for people who are lost. And that we have a heart for people who are hurting. And that we have a heart for people who need to grow in God's word or to hear the gospel message. Because every single one of us, we know people who are hurting, who are lost, that need to grow in God's word, who are confused, that we can minister to. And that we ourselves, our families in this congregation, that we would never turn inwardly to where we're not interested in reproduction, we're not interested in people growing, we're not interested in multiplication. But Lord, we want to minister to whoever you give us opportunity to. Verse two, "One of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord." There is here um, different thoughts, exactly what is meant here. It's um, some maybe perhaps speaking of um, that uh, one of the children of Israel uh, marries uh, some one of the Canaanites uh, that is involved in pagan worship. Um, All kinds of different thoughts as well. And so here, illegitimate uh, birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Uh, Again, what does it mean for you and for me? Um, There are some people that think that they're a Christian because their parents are Christians. One thing that we know from Scripture, God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children, sons and daughters. And there are people actually that are deceived into thinking because their parents are Christians, well, I guess that makes me a Christian. And that's why, for us as a congregation, as parents and grandparents, and that we pray for our children constantly, continually. We cannot have the attitude in the day in which we're living of, well, I hope my kids come to Christ. I hope they stay out of trouble. I, I, I hope that they're spiritually grounded. We've got to do more than hope. We need to be praying for them. We need to be encouraging them. We need to be washing them with the water of the word, spending time with them, talking with them. It's a scary day in which we live. And I'm very concerned for these kids and our young people, just as you are. Because there's so much darkness and there's so much evil out there. There's so much deception that is out there. There's so much junk that can fill their minds and and things out there that can pull them away. From the things of God. And we are seeing it in the latest statistics. And we need to be ones that are praying for our kids and getting them grounded in the truth of God's word. And I know that on Sunday morning when I taught about how Jesus, he's the creator of all things, created heaven and earth. That even in the church today, that is not a popular thing for a pastor to stand up and say, I believe in six day creation that is taught in Genesis chapter 1. Because there are more and more behind the pulpits that believe in some kind of evolution and, and the compromise of the Scripture, and we need to make sure there is a clear message to our kids and to our young people that God created them and loves them and has a plan for them, died for them, and that we get them established in that, just as we do with the kids here. But parents, you need to as well. That we need to make sure that they're understanding truth and praying for them and loving them and caring for them. They're pretty special. Your kids are wonderful. And it's just a great thing to see them growing in God's word and in God's love. And I hope that we are one that we are committed to continue to do that. And so they're going to grow up and they're going to make decisions on their own. They're going to have to make a decision for the Lord at some time in their life. So I pray that we would raise them up in the ways of the Lord and get them grounded in truth. And they would see the blessing of God in their own lives as we're committed to Him. So here he goes on and says in verse 3, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Verse 5, Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. You shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. The Ammonites and the Moabites, as we've discussed, were the two sons of Lot. They were born out of an incestuous relationship with his two daughters after Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed there in Genesis chapter 19. The descendants of the Ammonites and the Moabites were ones who worshipped false gods such as Baal. We have seen that. Numbers chapters 22 through 25, the story of Balaam. The children of Israel had come up to the border of Moab. They were going going to go into the promised land. The Lord had told them, you're not going to go to battle against the Moabites. But it was Balak, the king of Moab, who was very frightened. So he hires this prophet. He hires Balaam to curse the children of Israel. And of course, the Lord would not let Balaam curse the children of Israel. When he spoke in those four prophecies, out came blessing. And the Lord said here that that, um, the Lord your God turn the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Paul writes in the book of Galatians that Jesus, that he has saved us and freed us from the curse of the law because he became a, became a curse for us. As we saw last week in chapter 21, the last verse that curses anyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus hanging on that tree, becoming a curse. The one who knew no sin became sin for you and for me. The one who was perfect, the one who loved you and me because of his love for us. frees us from the curse of the law because the law says that we're all guilty. And Jesus comes to save us from our sins, to save us from the curse of the law. And so here we see that Balaam, we know the story again, and it was the Moabite women that came in and would seduce the young man, as we know the story. But here the Lord says, listen, that you're not to, to, in verse 6, seek their peace, nor their prosperity all their days forever. Uh, They're not to have a voice with you. They influence you. In our own lives and in our families, in this church. Be careful who it is that has a voice with you and an influence to you. And I know that we're in the world, and we deal with people that are non-Christians all the time. But I think it is sad that there are more and more ministries and there are more and more churches that there is the influence of the world and non-believers in the church. There really is. And I pray that we would be ones that we would always seek the Lord in what he wants us to do in his word, be guided by the Holy Spirit. It reminds me of Ahaz. Ahaz was the king of of Judah. and, And Ahaz was one that he was a terrible king. He's the one that Isaiah would give the prophecy to that, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Well, Ahaz was told, as you read in Isaiah Chapter 6, and as you read there in, in the books of the Chronicles and First Kings, that Ahaz was there, and, and and we know that Ahaz was being threatened by the king of Syria and the king of Israel. and He was upset. He didn't know what to do. What, what he did was he paid off the king of Assyria, Shennacherib, to go against Syria and against Israel. And that's what the king of Assyria did. He goes and attacks the king of Syria and kills him. And there is the king of Assyria sitting on the throne of Syria in Damascus. And so Ahaz goes up there to say thank you to him. And as he's up there in Damascus, he knows that the king of Assyria, who worships pagan gods, had this idol that was there in his, his false worship. And Ahaz looked at it and said, that's cool, I like that. So he calls for the high priest to come up from Jerusalem to make a diagram of it, to take down to the temple there in Jerusalem, to have it there in the temple. My point is simply this. Sometimes we can look at the things of the world in in the church and say, let's adopt that. And let's bring it into the church if we're not careful. And so we want to make sure that everything that we do, we're directed by the Lord and being spirit-led and that it's pleasing and honoring the Lord. And that the voices that are here are voices of people who love Him. But I don't want to be influenced by the world. I hope that when you come here, I really do, my prayer, is that you can say, we get to go to church and get away from the world. And all the junk of the world. And hear truth. There's two things that I can give you that the world won't, and that is God's truth and God's love. And that's something that we can give each other. So here he says, you're not to seek their peace or prosperity. Verse 7, Ooh, I better get going. You shall not abhor an Edomite, mite, for he is your... I was planning on doing three chapters tonight. <laughs> 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 You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you are an alien in the, his land. And the children of the third generation born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. So the Edomites, descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. And, of course, they were not to go to war with them. Remember that you came out of Egypt, and, um, and you were ones that were slaves to them. Uh, you were alien in his land. And so, verse 9, when the army goes out against your enemies... Then keep yourself from every wicked thing. If there is any man among you who becomes unclean by some occurrence in the night, then you shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp. But it shall be when evening comes that he shall wash with water. And when the sun sets, he may come into the camp. Also, you shall have a place outside the camp where you may go out. And you shall have an implement among your equipment. And when you sit down outside, you shall dig it and turn over and cover your refuse. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Therefore your camp shall be holy that he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. So this is a section of scripture that I go over with the kids before we go camping. And I explain to them there's no plumbing, there's no sewage out there. And um, so um, there's, you know, maybe some outhouses, but here's the guidelines. Go outside to camp, all right. But I do want to focus seriously on verse 14. The Lord says, For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you. One of the things that we're going to see on Sunday morning is Paul's going to say, Lo, I I tell you a mystery, and that is Christ dwells in you. Christ walks in the midst of your heart and dwells in your heart. And I pray that our hearts wouldn't be full of sewage, and that which is unclean. But Lord, that as you dwell in my heart, that my heart is clean. And Lord, give me a clean heart. That there's nothing there that would be unclean or offensive to you, Lord. Christ dwells in your heart. So, Lord, cleanse me, wash me. Make me clean, because you walk in the midst of my heart. In verse 15, you shall not give back to his master, the slave who has escaped from his master to you. You may dwell with you in your midst, the place which he chooses within one of your gates, where it seems best to him, you shall not oppress him. So some miscellaneous laws here concerning, um, speaking of a foreign slave, that he has asylum. And you're to give him asylum. We know that we've already seen the law that if a Hebrew slave was to escape, then he was to go back to his master. Verse 17, there shall be no ritual harlot of the daughters of Israel or perverted one of the sons of Israel. You shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog to the house of the Lord your God for any vowed offering, for both of these are abomination to the Lord your God. And so here, perverted ones, here is speaking of male prostitutes. and it says you shall not bring the wage of the harlot or the price of a dog. Now, it's not that if somebody goes out and sells their puppies or their dogs, You can't bring that as an offering to the Lord. That's just another phraseology um, of of uncleanness of the man who presents himself as uh, a harlot or in prostitution, actually. So don't bring that offering to the house of the Lord for the Lord because it's an abomination to the Lord. One of the things that I've always desired for you to do is to give freely. To give freely as cheerfully as the New Testament says that we are to give. But you give honestly. You give honestly. I know this is an extreme example, but I think you'll get the point. If Hugh Hefner was to call me up from Playboy and say, we want to be nice to Calvary Chapel and give you $5 million, I'd say No. No. And I know that won't happen. (laughs) But I will say this. If you're being dishonest in your business, if you're stealing, if you're selling drugs, don't think that you're honoring the Lord by giving, and you keep it. And don't give to this church. There's no way that I can know. But if you're being dishonest in your dealings and you're lying or you're stealing and selling things and getting money, if you're selling drugs, it's not an honorable way to give to the Lord. And don't give here. Because it doesn't honor the Lord. And I mean it. So we want to give in a way that is honest. And the New Testament talks a whole lot about giving cheerfully and willingly. But Paul also talks about working with your hands. Don't steal any longer, he says in Ephesians chapter 4, that you may have something to give. And one of the things that we tell young people particularly is, it's good to work. Work with your hands. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. It's good advice for all of us. Paul says that you lead a quiet life, work with your hands, and mind your own business. And I like that. Because work is good and honest work. That you may have something to give to the Lord in an honest way that is pleasing to the Lord. So I hope we understand what it is that is being said here. And then verse 19, you shall not charge interest to your brother interest on money or food or anything that is lent out of, at interest. We've already seen that they, as they hired, you know, or were give money a loan, they were not to charge interest. Kinda of different today, isn't it, in, in lending practices. But you're not to do that. Now, verse twenty, to a foreigner you may charge interest, but to your brother you shall not charge interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all to which you set your hand in the land in which you are entering to possess. Verse 21, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sent to you. But if you abstain from vow, it it shall not be sent to you. And that which is gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform for your voluntary vow to the Lord your God, what you have promised with your mouth. So again, the law concerning when it comes to giving vows and oaths. We talked about this specifically in Numbers chapter 30, and all the guidelines given, like if uh, a daughter who's not married is under her father's authority, she makes a vow, he can re-nick uh, that vow. If he says, no, you can't keep that vow, he has to do it within a day. If father doesn't, then she's obligated to keep it. It was the same with the wife. So all these these things were given guidelines that we saw in Numbers chapter 30, but the main thing that we saw in that, is that you and I as Christians are to be a man and woman of our word. When we give our word, you keep it. And I know that, that we can forget and we make mistakes and things like that. But you know what I mean. When we give a word of commitment, when we give a word of that we will perform a duty, whatever it might be, we want to do the best that we can to, to do that. Now Jesus comes along and says that it's not necessary to give vows or oaths. I don't believe in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says that, that there's absolutely, a for, you know, you're forbidden to give vows or prohibited from giving vows because we do that at times. All of us that have been married have given vows, haven't we? I'm going to do a wedding on Saturday, and it's going to be this young couple that will stand before me, and I will ask them, since you have formally come to me, To be united in marriage before God. Are you ready to exchange vows? And they will give an exchange of vows, promising one another to love each other for the rest of their lives. To keep those vows, to keep that marriage commitment. As long as they both shall live. So, what Jesus was saying is, you be careful. And just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And really, that's wise. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. And if you say yes to something, then be committed to it and keep it. It's okay to say no if you can't do it. I'm sorry, I can't do it, I can't be committed to that, and that's okay. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I think that's what here that, um, is being said in verse 22. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. In other words, you don't have to vow. What happens with vows and stuff and oaths oftentimes and we can be rash about it. We can be unreasonable about, about it. Oh Lord if you get me out of this situation I will read my Bible for a whole hour every day and pray for a whole hour and it's about two or three days later we realize that was pretty rash. Uh, you know I'll go to church every single Sunday for a whole year. I won't miss a Sunday. You know. I'll Work in the nursery, whatever it may be, every Sunday. You, these unreasonable vows to the Lord. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. is what the Lord is saying. But all of us are to be men and women of our word. And that's, that's something that is important for us. And then, I guess as we finish tonight, I want to go in chapter 24, but we won't. And when you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill. of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put any in your container. And when you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads of your head hand, that is, but you shall not use a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. This was gleaning the fields. This was a way to uh, help those who were poor, help those who were hungry. So you could go by the fields and you can glean the fields, pluck the grain, you know, uh, the, the heads of grain, and rub your hand and eat the grain. And uh, that was a way that you could eat. You couldn't go into the field and put a sickle to the grain and start harvesting and carrying it out. Same with the vineyard. You could go, you can eat the grapes, but you couldn't take a basket and container and take it out. We know that's what Jesus, his disciples were doing, right? In Matthew chapter 12, if I'm right. In Luke chapter 6, what were they doing? They were gleaning the fields. They were plucking the heads of grain. They were eating it. They were hungry. They were poor. And so there they are. They're doing that. And the Pharisees come along. And the Pharisees said, what you're doing is unlawful. Now to understand that they weren't saying that plucking the heads of grain was unlawful. They were the Pharisees upset at Jesus disciples because they were doing it on the Sabbath, right? So the whole conflict was over the Sabbath and in the Sabbath there's to be no work and when you do that you're working because you're threshing wheat and and you're you're shifting wheat and and it's considered work that's unlawful and they were really big the Pharisees, the dedicated ones to keep in the most minute details of the law. So they said it's unlawful, and of course Jesus rebuked them and said that, that the, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Your rules and regulations, the day the Sabbath, as we talked about the Sabbath law that's given in the Old Testament to the children of Israel, it was to be a day of refreshment and be renewed in the Lord. But the Pharisees had made it to where it was bondage. And it was rules and regulations. They had all these minute details concerning the Sabbath. You couldn't spit on the ground on the Sabbath because then, you know, it mixed with the mud and you're making mortar. Just ridiculous things like that. So all these rules, and that's why they were getting on Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And he would also say in that text as well, is that there is one standing here that's greater than the temple. The temple was everything to them. The temple worship and and all of that. So that's what started the conflict with the religious leaders hating Jesus. From that point on, when they were gleaning in the fields, that conflict would carry into on the Sabbath in the synagogue in Capernaum where Jesus healed that man with the withered hand. He healed him on the Sabbath day. And it was after that, we know from Mark's gospel, that it tells us that it was the religious leaders that were determined to destroy Jesus, to put him to death. So this was a way for them to to provide, a way for those who are hungry, and a way to bless. For you and for me, I'm so proud of these kids that they are learning to think of others and to serve others. And I am so proud of the youth that are heading in that direction as well. And I want to encourage them in that. And I want to encourage us as well because this time of the year we can get so busy with stuff and this and we do, even myself. But I pray that we would not forget to take time and to bless somebody. A small gesture that we can do for them and blessing them. And letting them know that God loves them and cares for them. And I hope that we're getting it, folks, that our Christianity isn't just about us, it's about others. And that we can share what we know and the love of Christ with others and what we say to them, our conduct, and how we can bless them in very simple, practical ways. Because there are a lot of people out there that are hungry. It's been a rough year. And I'm not just talking physically. I'm talking spiritually that people need to be encouraged and prayed for and uplifted and cared for. And the way that God has provided for that is through us, the church. And so, Father, I thank you for these reminders tonight. This chapter that we can go over so quickly, but there's so much, I believe, that you wanted to tell us tonight and show us. <coughs> Father, I do pray for those tonight who are hungry, for those who are thirsty. Right now, as we just continue to worship for a few minutes, that you would refresh them. Father, that we would be ones that we desire to please you with our lives and give you every area of our lives. Lord, help us to be ones that we just submit to you that allow you to have the preeminence over every area of our lives. Father, I pray that you'd just encourage everyone here and bless everyone. All of us, we come in, different things on our minds and on our hearts, that we know that we can give that to you right now. And Lord, that we would just yield to you as you just continue to grow us and work by the power of the Holy Spirit. Produce fruit in us that people can come and pick from us. Those who are hungry. And Lord, be refreshed and renewed. So, Father, I just pray you bless this time. Whatever may be on our hearts that we can give to you to allow you to speak to us and encourage us and lift us up. We're going to spend a few minutes just worshiping the Lord. If you do need any prayer, I'm going to be over here on the side and just come up. And if any of you need prayer for any reason at all, we're just going to worship the Lord.